Abraham Lincoln, LeBron James, Albert Einstein, Lady Gaga, Adolf Hitler, Bono, Osama bin Laden, Steve Jobs, Billy Graham, Bill Gates, SpongeBob. What entered your mind when I said those names? Or better yet, if your name is said, if I were to say your name, what comes to our mind when we hear your name? Well, you, from your words and from your lives, is what comes to mind when we say your name. The bad behavior of a family member in your family can, can give you a bad name. The good behavior of a family member in your family can get, help you have a good name. What we're looking at today is the third commandment in Exodus chapter 20, where God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, um, we looked at the first couple of commandments, and it's, we, we, get, we get that we're to have no other gods before God. We might get the second commandment, that we're not to worship God apart from how he has revealed himself. So we don't make up our own ways of worshiping God. We don't make pictures or images of him and, and imagine how God wants to be worshiped. But what's the big deal about God's name? Why, why is that a thing for him? Why does he make such an issue of that? Because his name represents who he is. And you see it plastered throughout the scriptures. Again and again, God, God upholds his name and, and makes that central to something that we ought to, to um, honor. He's redeemed his people, so he said to Israel back in chapter 19, you, you, I'm making you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, and there to represent him to the nations. His name reveals who he is to Israel and his reputation before the nations. And, and Israel, their behavior impacts God's reputation. So before uh, Moses got into the business of delivering Israel, he said, hey, if I go back to, to, the, to, to the people of Israel and say, God spoke to me, what's your name? Who do I say I talk to? He says, well, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So his name, in the Hebrew, the closest pr pronunciation we c can come up with is Yahweh. So Yahweh is related to the, the word for I am. So he says, tell them I am has sent me to you. And he says, this is my name forever. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. So, so Yahweh, the Lord, in, in your English Bibles, it's capital L, lower capital O-R-D, is Yahweh. And his, it's his covenant name with Israel. And it means he is. He just is. He always is. He always was. He always will be. But not only that, it means he's, he's permanently attached his name to his people, the people of Israel and, and uh, in this age to his church. 
he continues to reveal his name by his words and his works. For example, uh, in Exodus chapter 33, we may have that up on the screen, um, we see how God's name is connected to his glory and his attributes of justice and mercy. So Moses said, please show me your glory. And, and God said, I will make my, all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord, or Yahweh. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And a little bit later in chapter 34, he says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. So Yahweh, Yahweh. So what's your name? Well, my name is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children and to the third and fourth generation. So he's attaching that to his name. So for short, it's Yahweh. The long form is a God full of loving kindness and, and so on. So what does it mean to take the name, God's name in vain? What does it mean? Or some of your translations say to misuse his name, and so that's, either way, is valid. It means to use it for no good purpose. It means to use God's name in, in any way that does not treat it as holy. It means to use his name in any way that dishonors him or misrepresents him. In any way that is careless or false frivolous, self-serving, or degrading. So later, God tells Moses that the penalty for blaspheming the Lord's name, in other words, for slandering, using his name to curse, is death. So God takes it very seriously. He says um, in Leviticus, Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, the sojourner as well as, as the native, when he blasphemes the name should be put to death. Now, the full intent of this commandment is, is not just to not dishonor God's name. It, is, it includes that, not shaming and defaming his name. It's not only that. It's also uh, for that we are to desire and to speak and to live for the glory of his name, that his name be exalted and treated as holy. So we don't defame it. We want it to be exalted. And so we see this in many, many scriptures. I'll just look at a few with you. Psalm 86, 9 all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. Or Psalm 138.2, I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. His, his name and his word are above everything else. And in Psalm 8.1, O Lord, our Lord, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And when Jesus teaches us how to pray, how does he, how does he teach us to pray? Well, right up front, right up top, he says, we pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Well, it's something to rejoice over, actually. <laughs> but if we're not hallowing his name, then we don't rejoice. And if you're like me, like, 
praying this prayer as a kid, I didn't really get what hallowed was. I kind of knew it was some sort of holy word, but I didn't really get what it meant. So I didn't really know what I was praying. I'm saying God's a great God, maybe I, I got that. But uh, we, the only time that we use the word hallow in anything that we say is Halloween. So what's God's holiness got to do with Halloween? Well, it means holy ones. So Halloween is All Saints Day Eve. So the saints' day is November 1, and Halloween is October 31. So it's, it means to be holy. And the word is a verb, so put your grammar hats on. It's not, say, it's not, it's not an adjective. So get that. Hallowed is not an adjective. It's a verb. Got that? And you say, wow, that's profound. That's deep. And the reason I say that is because what, it's, this is a request. It's not a statement. Jesus isn't making a statement that God is holy. He, that's true, but, but what he's saying, this is a request. God, may your name be regarded as holy, honored as holy. Make your name be seen and worshipped as holy among all the nations. So that's, that's the prayer request. And that's right up front. God, Jesus teaches us to pray that way to the Father. Cause his name to be regarded as holy, to be honored as holy. Utterly distinct from everything else, above everything else. Absolutely without any corruption, any evil, as infinitely pure. That's how we're to pray for God's name. So what are some of the ways that we take God's name in vain? that we misuse God's name? Well, when we use it to support falsehood, so taking or making false oaths, so for example, saying, I swear to God I'll do this, and not doing it is misusing his name, or saying that you, uh, you swear to God this is true and it's not true, and so that's false. In fact, Jesus taught that it's best not to swear at all, just let your yes be yes and no be no. Uh, in Leviticus 19.12, Moses says, God says through Moses, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. When you swear falsely by God's name, you profane it, you degrade it, you use it to deceive. We also use God's name falsely when we pray to when we use it to give to things we say are right, an authority that it does not have. We give it something, an authority it does not have. So some, some of us say too easily, well, the Lord told me to do this, or the Lord told me that. And um, that's problematic a lot of the times. Many times people want something so badly, they, they assume that what they feel in their hearts or what they hear in their heads is God's voice. So they... Uh, they, they'll say, God told me this, God told me that. Uh, so my wife, Patty, I'm lucky I, I married her because back when she was going to Moody Bible Institute in Chicago, she had a guy propose to her and say, God told me that you're supposed to marry me. So she disobeyed God and married me. <laughs> Perhaps. And I've, I've heard lots of these stories, actually, and, and, and more than one story about two guys saying to the same girl, God told me I'm supposed to marry you. So that gets confusing. So for some of you guys who are still um, not yet married and want to get married, then you can take that for what it's worth. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit doesn't impress things on our hearts. The Holy Spirit works in, 
He's at work in us. Um, but you, you may believe God is leading a certain way, or you may believe a certain course of action would be pleasing to God. But you need to be careful about claiming God told you something. And especially you need to be careful about saying that God told you to tell me to do something. So just be careful about that. Because it sounds, when you say that God said something, it can sound like it's an authoritative word from God, and the only absolutely authoritative words from God are in the Scriptures. So that's your go-to for authoritative words. Not your impressions, not how you feel. The, the issue for the third commandment is don't use God's name to claim he has spoken what he hasn't spoken. Even if what you're saying is good and true, it may not be false, it just, it's, but you give it a false authority that it doesn't have. So if you are paraphrasing scripture or referring to a scripture of truth, just say that. Don't say God said that, that uh, as if he spoke it directly to you, when, if he didn't. And, of course, the most blatant violation of this commandment is saying that God has said what is false. So Jeremiah twenty three twenty five, among many other scriptures, addresses that. God says, I heard what the prophets have said who prophesied lies in my name, saying, I've dreamed, I've dreamed. I've been around people who have dreams a lot and, and think God's talking to them in dreams. Um, it's not that he can't do that, but most of the time it sounds just weird. Um, <clears throat> There have been lots of falsehoods said in God's name. How many people have been sucked into cults through that? Or false predictions of Jesus' return or false gospels. God says, if you give me money, he'll make you rich. That's not true. Sometimes people want to present some teaching in terms like, what might God want to say to us? Now, this gets kind of tricky because... They're not, they may not be trying to claim that God is speaking directly to them, but they, that they phrase their teaching or, their, or things they write as if this is Jesus talking or God talking. And so the problem with that is it, it presents it like Scripture as having an authority that belongs only to Scripture. So even if what you're saying is true, you don't want to say, you don't want to give the impression that, that this is something directly from Jesus when it's the only direct words from God that we have are in the Scripture. So we, um, we misuse God's name when we do that. Uh, so at, at the very least, this kind of teaching device of putting words in Jesus' mouth that he's saying to us muddies the waters in terms of quoting Scripture. So stick, make the script, let, let the Scripture be Scripture and let what you're teaching be applications of, of Scripture, but don't claim that this is being spoken by Jesus if it's not. So we misuse God's name when we use it to support falsehood, for sure. And also we misuse God's name when we use it to frivolously, cheaply, frivolously. One example of that is what most of us think of when we hear not taking God's name in vain. And that is um, when we curse. People may try to excuse cursing with God's name by saying, I'm not literally saying that God should damn someone. It's just something I say when I'm angry. That's the problem. The fact that you use it just to express anger cheapens and profanes God's holy name. And what's amazing to me is that people who have and no love for Jesus and never pray to him and never worship him use his name when they're to exclaim something. It's, it's incredible how... 
people who don't know Jesus, who don't have any loyalty to him, will just use his name profusely to, to, for a, a, an exclamation, not, not necessarily even cursing, but just to exclaim things. They're, they see something that's amazing, and they, they say his name. So that's doing a disservice to, to Jesus' name. Similarly, it's astounding how frequently people say or are portrayed saying in, in TV shows and movies, Oh, my God. I mean, some people, almost every other sentence comes out of their mouth. is, oh, my God. And that's, um, again, people say, well, I'm not saying something bad about God. I'm not, I'm not um, trashing his name. I'm just, I'm just, it's just an exclamation. It's just an expression. Right. It's, it's a, a frivolous use of God's name. It's a problem. So don't, don't use his name just to exclaim things when you're not talking praising God and talking directly about God. And so watch OMGs. Because that's, that's what OMG stands for. So that's probably something just to, just to not do that. In Matthew 6-7, Jesus warns against heaping up empty phrases. He, in the King James Version, it was vain repetitions. In prayer. Some have the bad habit in prayer of using some form of God's name as a repetitive punctuation. Now, I want to be careful about this because we all struggle with prayer language, but some, sometimes I've heard people pray something like this. Oh, Lord God, Father, we just ask, oh, Lord God, Father, that you would help us, oh, Lord God, Father, to not misuse your name, oh, Lord God, Father. And I've, I've heard people pray that way, and, and they, they sound sincere in their prayers. It's not that they're, it's not the, 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 they're not really praying, but they need to know that, that God won't lose track of the fact that they're praying to him if they don't repeat his name after every three words. What if we spoke to one another that way? Yeah, so just be normal. <laughs> I mean, God's holy, but you don't have to say his name every, every third word. This is a good time to talk about our use of the phrase, in Jesus' name, to close our prayers. Why do we usually say, in Jesus' name, amen? And we say it like that sometimes, like, like a one-syllable word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, so people know that we're done praying? Wrong. Jesus tells his disciples to pray in his name. And what he means by that is we're to pray according to his will, as revealed in the Scripture according to what is pleasing to him in ways that honor him, that are in keeping with who he is, and who he is for us, and what he's done for us. So we're saying, I, I'm, I'm asking this because I'm trusting this is pleasing to Christ, and this is in my relationship to him. Now, that's a long way to end a prayer. So you, you can still say in Jesus' name, that's okay, but, but just be more thoughtful about it. Don't, don't just like run it off like, just end the prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. Because we're using his name to validate what we're praying. Don't thoughtlessly use it. And it's especially inappropriate to pray in Jesus' name if we pray for what contradicts God's word, of course. So uh, do we pray, in, help me win the lottery in Jesus' name? Amen. You're, so some of you must pray that way. Make her see that I'm right and she's wrong. In Jesus' name? 
It's like James 4 says, you, pr- you ask but you don't receive that you may spend it on your passion. So don't, don't pray selfish prayers and put Jesus' name as a stamp on it. So we misuse God's name when we use it to support what is false, and we use it frivolously, and finally when we use it hypocritically. Using God's name hypocritically refers to any ways that we associate ourselves with God or Christ, but our hearts, lips, or lives don't truly honor his name. So in Leviticus 22, 31, So you should keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord, and you shall not profane my holy name, that I may be sanctified among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you, who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. So here is Israel, God's holy nation, sacrificing their children to the pagan god Moloch. You see that in Leviticus 18.21. You shall not give any of your children to offer, offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. When those who are identified as God's people live ungodly lives, this is a hypocritical use of, of his name. Those who reject God or Christ are all too happy for us to, to live ungodly lives so they can mock us and, and um, point out the hypocrisy. As Christians, we bear Christ's name. Christ has put his name in us, upon us. We don't get to not have his name attached to us. In fact, Jesus, in, in, when he's praying, said, Father, keep them in your name. So we're kept in the name of the Father and the Son. When Christian business owners engage in unethical practices, they misuse God's name. When Christian students cheat on exams, they misuse his name. When Christian husbands and wives divorce with unbiblical grounds, they misuse his name, especially when they say, God approves me doing this. God told me to do this. We hypocritically use his name when we go through the motions of devotion to him, but our hearts are not in it. Because our heart is not in it, we don't give him our best. We display to others that God is not worthy of honor. We don't worship him. So the, the, the English word worship comes from worthship. So we're supposed to demonstrate to others that God is worth all that we have and all that we are. And when, when we um, don't think that, then we, we're spreading falsehood about God's name, that he's not worthy of our best. So the prophet Malachi addressed these things in chapter 1. He said the priests were despising his name. He said the priests were um, polluting his, his altar and they were offering defective sacrifices and so on. So we see this in Malachi chapter 1, what God thinks about this. For, this is Malachi 1 verse 11. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place incense will be offered to my name. And a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations. So you get the impression that God wants his name to be great among the nations. But you profane it when you say the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. You say, what a weariness it is. Oh, this worship is a drag. I'm just going, when's it going to be over? And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or, or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept this, that from your hand, says the Lord? 
Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. So they were to bring perfect sacrifices, and they weren't doing that. For I am a great king, says the Lord of of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So if your heart's not in worship, we, hey, we all struggle with that, but we need to continue to pursue uh, getting our hearts engaged fully with God. God's name can be used hypocritically when it's merely used for public approval or political gain in civil religion. So uh, I don't know the hearts of all the people who say these things, but, but how often do, do politicians say, God bless, God bless you and God bless America? I mean, do they really mean that, or is that just a political statement. Another way we use God's name hypocritically is when we are outwardly connected to Jesus, even doing impressive ministry in his name, but we don't have true saving faith in him. And we see this in Matthew 7. Jesus says, on that day, when, when people are standing for the Lord Jesus, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name and then will I declare to them I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness so amazing works done in his name but no faith connection with him so that's hypocritically using his name God does not hold those guiltless who go on in unrepentant taking of his name in vain. So, for example, in Ezekiel, we read how God brings judgment on Israel for trashing his name. So, so God says, you, you defiled it by your ways and your deeds. You defiled the land that I had you in, in Israel. Uh, I poured out my wrath upon you for the blood that they shed in the land. So they, they shed a lot of blood for the idols that, that with which they had defiled it. And because of that, he says, I scattered you among the nations. And they were dispersed in accordance with their ways and deeds. I judged them. So what we see in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 21, is God says, I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my name, my holy name, which you profaned among the nations to which you came. So what he's going to say in verse 23 is, even though they've done these things and he's bringing, he has brought judgment upon them, for the sake of his name, he's also going to redeem them. And that's good news. Because he says, And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among, among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God when through you I vindicate my holiness before, the, before their eyes. So God continues to say, I'm going to re- restore you to the land. I'm going to sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I'm going to give you new hearts, new spirits. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So this is for the sake of his name, God will redeem those who have misused and profaned his, and dishonored his name, and that's great news because we all have done that. So what, what is our hope? that because of what God has done for us in Christ, through the death and resurrection of the one on whom he has bestowed the name that is above every name, he redeems us. 
And we see this in John 1.12. How do you get redeemed? By, by the name of this holy God whose name you have profaned. How do you do that? Well, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And in John 20, John wrote his gospel so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Romans 10, 13, For everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And when you get baptized, you get baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he, he stamps you with the name of the Trinity. So by this redeeming power of God, he's able to redeem us out of our profaning his name. On the other hand, if you don't call on the name of the Lord, Jesus, or if you try to call on some other name, you cannot and will not be saved. It says in Acts 4.12, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Jesus is the way to, to God, the way to be redeemed from profaning his name. But he's the only option, and he's, he's a powerful and he's a gracious option. Not only are we saved through faith in the name of Jesus, but we participate in God's mission to save a people for his name. So we read in Acts chapter 15, they're talking about the mission that they're carrying out among the unbelievers, the Gentiles at the time, and they refer to God taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. So among the nations, that um, all the, the Gentiles who are called by my name, God says. The Lord says, if you're called by my if you're called by my name, you're saved. Paul says in, Acts, in Romans chapter 1, verse, 15, verse 5, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So the church's mission, building on the foundation of the apostles, is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of Christ's name among the nations. Because salvation is through Christ's name, and because Jesus' name is the name above every name, because God has purposed to save the people for his name, we are to spread the gospel to bring about the obedience of faith among all nations, all ethnic groups that honors his name. Or another way to talk about the obedience of faith is our closing text, Colossians 3, verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whatever we say or do should honor Jesus' name. Everywhere we go, we, we, we have his name with us. So what we don't do is like, have you ever gone to a conference or like some kind of gathering and, and you get a name tag and you forget to take it off and you go to restaurants, you go shopping and, and somebody says, hey, I see your name on the name tag. What, what, you got that? Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to take that off. I meant to take that off. Well, you are permanently tagged with Jesus' name. So don't, don't treat church that way. Don't, hey, I'm done with church, so I, I take Jesus' name tag off. No, his name remains with you wherever you go. So whatever you do, everything you do should be able to have the stamp of Jesus' name on it. And Paul says later on, I'm just following right out of that text, he's, he's, he applies it to marriage, he applies it to raising kids, he applies it to work. So everything we do. So because Jesus saves us through his name, he saves us into 
family connection, faith connection with him. And so we have a family meal that we enjoy together. We call it the Lord's Supper. We call it the communion meal. And if you have put your trust in the name of Jesus, in his death and resurrection, you've trusted him, Son of God, come in, in, in human flesh, who died on the cross, bore the guilt of all of your sins, and turned away God's judgment from you, and gave you his righteousness as a gift. If you're trusting in Jesus' name that way, then this meal is for you. And so we've got tables set up. We take the bread, dip it in the cup. You can take it there. You can take it with people who you're with, or you can come back to your seat. If you haven't yet put your trust in, in Jesus' name, as we've been talking about, trusting in his death and resurrection only to save you, then um, this meal is, is not yet something that you believe is true, so you, you don't take it. But we'd be happy to pray with you and talk with you during the service, we have people up here ready to pray, so on either side of the room, up front, and after the service as well. So let's prepare our hearts to take the communion meal together. And you can do that any time during the worship song, so you don't, don't have to all rush up there now. Father, teach us your way that we may walk in your truth. Unite our hearts to fear your name, to honor your name, to revere your name, to worship your name, to trust in your name, to treasure your name, to live for the glory of your name. We've all failed at doing that, Father, and we desperately need your cleansing, the cleansing that comes through the blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. You've promised if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because you have granted us life in him as we've trusted in his saving power and saving works, we can enjoy this time of fellowship with him through the bread and the cup that he gave to us as a reminder of the new covenant in his blood, that he guaranteed that all who put their trust in him can have all their sins forgiven and have eternal life and righteousness we, we're saved into a relationship with you, Father. We're thankful that it's not just about a religious thing. It's not just do, going through religious motions. It's about a living relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. So as we continue our time of worship through song, as we take the symbol of Christ's body, the bread, the symbol of his blood, the cup, cause us to see fresh afresh how glorious your name is. The name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. May we worship you, Father, in spirit and truth and exalt in your name. And may we go, up, go about this week uh, bearing the, the name of Jesus Christ. Everything we do for the glory of his name, we ask this in, in his name. Amen.